You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you realize that God doesn't want anybody to be damned? God doesn't want anybody to be judged. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The Bible tells us that hell was created for the devil and his angels. God has done and is doing everything he can possibly do that no soul has to be damned, but he will not violate our will. Today, Pastor Danny shows us through Scripture that God has done and is doing everything that He possibly can to ensure that no soul goes to hell. He's a God of justice, but His justice was satisfied when Jesus died on the cross, and He longs for you to be in a relationship with Him. Have you said yes to God? He's already done all the work. He's just looking for a simple yes from you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again so that you could rise with him and enter into a true relationship with God. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of The Living Word. If the world will respond to God's plan by faith, guess what? You can be saved. You don't have to experience the judgment that he's going to bring. Some people, even professing Christians today, suggest that the judgment in Noah's day uh, was not universal, that it wasn't a universal flood that covered the whole world. It was just more local. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Back to the right again, 2 Peter chapter 3. Beginning in verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Deluge, it means complete. He's talking about the flood of Noah's day. By the same word, God's word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. After the flood of Noah's day, and God started everything over again through Noah and his family, God said, I'll put my bow in the sky, and that'll be a sign of the covenant I'm making that I'll never again destroy the earth with a universal flood. Every time you see a rainbow, be reminded God's word is true. He will never again destroy the earth in judgment by a universal flood. But he didn't say he wasn't going to destroy the earth again. <laughs> he said not by a flood. Next time's by fire. Now, verse 10, the last part, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So the Bible says, look, 
The flood of Noah's day was universal and it represents and speaks of a future judgment that won't be a universal flood, but it will be universal. It'll be by fire. That's what the Bible says. But it's not just the Bible. I mean, how can people say that the flood of Noah's day was not universal if you really look at the evidence? The evidence. If you read the whole story in the book of Genesis, one of the things we learn is that the flood, uh, when it was complete, and the rain and all had stopped, and the, the waters from the deep that God sent from below the earth. It's not just rain coming from above, but it's from beneath the earth as well. Once it's complete, the Bible says that it covered the highest mountains over 20 feet. In other words, there's over 20 foot of water over the highest mountain now. That includes Mount Ararat. That was the area where Noah uh, lived uh, and where the ark was built. Mount Ararat is 17,000 feet high, and you had waters over 20 feet above the top of Mount Ararat. Look, scientifically, you cannot have a local flood that covers a mountain over 17,000 feet. It's not possible. The flood lasted 371 days. Did you know this? This is cool. Every culture on the planet, every culture in history, every single one has a story of a great flood where one man and his family were saved, including the Eskimos. The Eskimos have a story of a great flood and one man and his family saved through the great flood. Get this, in every corner of the planet, you can find scattered around a layer of earth strata that can only be fine mud or silt, even under the ice sheet of Antarctica. It contains the same types of elements all over the world, and it represents the dividing line between the age of the dinosaurs and the age of mammals. It gets better. Scientists all over the world uh, recognize this layer, but they disagree on what caused it. What about 40 days and 40 nights of a lot of water? <laughs> the earth is crisscrossed with ancient riverbeds, some over 10 miles wide. Uh, there's one near Vernal, Utah, that you can stand and look at uh, one of these riverbeds. It stands near vertical due to the upheaval in the earth's crust and contains virtually every species of animal, including dinosaurs, fossilized palm trees, wood, and get this one, fish. Fish. Turtles, birds, etc., etc. They found fossils of sea creatures in rock layers on every continent. That's fascinating to me. For example, most of the rock layers in the walls of the Grand Canyon, more than a mile above sea level, contain marine fossils. You know where else they found marine fossils? In the Himalayas. The Himalayas. Some of these fossils are, one person described it this way, exquisitely preserved. What does that tell us? It indicates a sudden catastrophic destruction and burial. They could not be so preserved without some sudden catastrophic event. Folks, listen, not only the Bible, all over our planet that we dwell on, there's geological evidence of a historical universal flood. That flood was universal, and the judgment yet to come is therefore universal. Now, Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but it's noteworthy because it's the only righteousness that'll do you any good. No good works will do us any good. The only righteousness that'll get us to heaven, 
save our souls is a righteousness that comes by faith. And it's faith in what God has done and what God has said, his word, not on what we do and what we say. It's the same righteousness uh, Abraham found. It says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, we could speak a lot more about that, but I'm going to move on. Look, well, we'll just say this. I forgot I had this one on there. Say this one with me. This is a great verse. Are you ready? For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Isn't it great that I haven't lived uh, 10 years as a Christian? God says, well, up to this point, it's been me, but now you've got to earn a little bit of the rest. No, 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 no. It's by faith from first to last. Now, listen to this. Noah was saved from judgment and his family through the ark. Now, I know that should be obvious, but I don't know if you really appreciate the ark uh, like you should. The ark is a type of Christ. The type just means a symbol uh, or an illustration, an illustration. Now, Go back with me. Pay attention here. You're going to really like this. Genesis chapter 6. We read, but I'm going to read one verse again. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Uh, We know what the Hebrew word means, but we don't know exactly what pitch was made of. Probably some tar-like substance. But the word just means to smear. So smear it. Inside and outside. Second time you find that word is in Exodus chapter 2, verse 3. Let me tell you what that is. That's Moses' mother to try to save her child, which God providentially did, Moses. And she builds this little basket, and the Bible says she put pitch on that basket. Same word. Whatever kind of substance it was that kept that basket floating when she put little baby Moses in the Nile River until Pharaoh's was a Pharaoh's wife. Anyway, yeah, she found her and God providentially saved Moses and Moses providentially was used by God to deliver a nation. But let me give you another very significant place you find it. It's Exodus chapter 32 and verse 30. I'll read it for you. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make, and the word is, same word, pitch for your sin. Translated in the NIV, in my Bible, that I teach from anyway, atonement. And you find that word over and over again related to the sacrifices that would be offered so that there would be atonement. Atonement, the word is pitch. Look, there's a New Testament phrase that Paul the Apostle especially liked to use. It's this phrase, in Christ, in Christ. For example, Romans chapter 8 And verse 1, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. He uses it again in the final chapter, Romans chapter 16, verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. He uses it, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 30. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Wow. To be in the ark is an illustration, a lesson 
And it was a reality for Noah and his family that if they were in the ark and the ark is covered inside and out with what? With atonement, with pitch. You're covered in atonement. And the judgment can't get to you because you're in the ark. Listen, do you get that? You understand how secure we are? Let me read you one I don't have, but in my notes that you could get online. 1 John chapter 2. Oh, this is so good, man. It just gives you Jesus bumps over and over again. Uh, verse 2, 1 John chapter 2. He, Jesus Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. An opportunity for God to love the world. And whosoever believes in the Son that he sent, whosoever believes... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're secure in the ark. 450 feet long, 80, uh, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. It was actually four stories if you include the top level. The total deck space of the ark, uh, fascinating to me, is 100,000 square feet. I mean, it's, it's massive, especially for the day uh, that it was built in. The word or ark, you know what the word in Hebrew really means? A box. What God literally said to Noah is, I want you to build a really big box. Uh, someone calculated years ago uh, that the cargo capacity of the ark was equal to 522 boxcars, train boxcars. You ever been stuck at a train passing, you know, and it's been a really, really long one? I've been, seen some long ones, but I've never seen one with 522 boxcars. That's a long train. Some people have a wrong idea of how the ark was built and what it looked like. Let me give you an idea. This is a guy in the Netherlands that built this one not long ago. And um, it's the closest, I guess, to the biblical instructions because it's more square than rounded. See, the ark wasn't built like most ships to be propelled through the water. The ark was built to survive the massive water, to survive it. There was no rudder. There's no steering system. Uh, this thing was built just to float in the judgment waters. Not until the early 19th century, 1858, was a ship built yeah, even close to the size of the ark. I mean, it took I mean, it was hundreds and hundreds of years. And then the ship called the Hymalea was built. It was 240 feet long and 35 feet wide. Later the same year, they really, uh, shipbuilding industry did it. They built a ship called the Great Eastern. It was 692 feet long, uh, 83 feet wide, and 30 feet high. Weighed 19,000 tons. You say, where are you going with this? Well, the shipbuilding industry, uh, in a very short amount of time, relative to history, discovered something on how to build ships. They discovered that if you wanted the most stable ship you could build, you had to build it by a certain ratio between this ratio and this ratio, and the ratio was 6 to 1 to 8 to 1. What does that mean? You wanted to build it, if you build it 6 feet long, or whatever the multiplication by 6, uh, you want to build it, if it was 6 feet long, Every six feet, you want to build it one foot wide, six to one to eight to one. If you build it within that ratio, you have the most stable vessel that you can build. The ark was 6.1 ratio. Henry Morris, engineer and scientist, concluded that the ark would have had to be turned completely vertical before it could be tipped over. Wow. You take the square bottom, you add all the weight of the animals that makes it even more stable because you have it down in the water, the base of it, and it's even less likely, virtually impossible. John chapter 10, 
John's Gospel, chapter 10. Here's what Jesus says, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You see the picture? I am in Christ. Christ is in the Father, and the devil can't get to me, and judgment can't get to me. Nobody can get to me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. I am secure. I'm secure. If you're in the ark, in Christ, you're secure. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. That was a good point, wasn't it? Noah's connection with the ark, you have to understand this, he and his family, it caused them uh, ridicule and persecution in their world. No doubt about it. No question about it. I mean, he built the thing between the Tigris and Euphrates River. There's no ocean. There's no large lake. Didn't take long if you pass by Noah's house uh, to realize he's got this crazy thing going on, building this big, massive box. If Noah were building the ark in our world today, he'd be the brunt of every late night comedy show. I mean, they'd be making extra money and get higher ratings by their Noah jokes. No doubt about it. His life revolved around the ark. I mean, his life revolved around the ark. And because of his connection with the ark and because he's building the ark, he's also year after year after year warning the world, warning the world, and yet giving them hope. Judgment is coming, but God's provided a means to be saved. Our text said this, by faith he condemned the world. What does that mean? Does that mean he was a hellfire and brimstone preacher? Well, he did warn of coming judgment, but what it means is that his life and his message condemned the world. Let me put it another way. Just like when John the Baptist stood before Herod and he confronted him about his adulterous relationship with his brother's wife, Herodias, that condemned John's life, John's message. No different than uh, the prophets condemning their world, their life and their message. No different than Jesus when he came. His life and his message did what? Condemned the world. That's why they put him on the cross. Let me give you this verse. And you'll really, you'll really understand it if you haven't already. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, those who respond in faith, though don't respond in faith, we are the smell of death. I don't know if you've ever smelled death. It is not a pleasant odor at all. To the other, the fragrance of life. You could translate that another way, literally. To some people, I stink. They don't want to be around me. They don't want to hear what I got to say. They just assume I, they never saw me again, never heard me again. Because they're rejecting the message. They're rejecting the offer of salvation. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to think about it. And to some people, listen, we stink. And to other people, we're the smell of life. The smell of life. Let me tell you this. Noah and the ark, listen, the story, what a story. It's a story that speaks of God's great patience in offering salvation to the world. He mentions in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, uh, God's patience while Noah was building the ark. 
in that day. And then some verses I skipped over that I will now read in 2 Peter, reading again verse 7 of chapter 3. By the same world, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. No, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you realize that God doesn't want anybody to be damned? God doesn't want anybody to be judged. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The Bible tells us that hell was created for the devil and his angels. God has done and is doing everything he can possibly do that no soul has to be damned. But he will not violate our will. He's made us free moral creatures. Whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will. It's a choice. It's a choice. I know the ark's there. The door is open. I can go by faith and I can step into the ark and I can find security. I can find salvation. I can find hope. And God's patient. You see, some people think, well, if, if more people are going to damnation than are going to uh, blessing in heaven, which that's what the Bible says, Jesus said in the book, of, in the gospel of Matthew, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and uh, many go that way. Uh, narrow is the road that leads to life. That doesn't mean the road to life is narrow that only a few can go in. No, it's only a statement by Jesus that only a few, unfortunately, do go in. But it's open for all. And God is patient. Some people say, well, if broad is the road that leads to destruction, why didn't, why didn't God just stop this thing now, just end it all now? Well, think about that for a minute. What if God had ended it all 100 years ago? If God had ended everything 100 years ago, not only would you never have been, and I never would have been, never been born, I'd never have an opportunity for eternal life. You see, we're creatures that have a beginning. We are spirit beings. We are spirit beings having a human experience. You had a beginning as a spirit and as a human being, but you'll never have an end. You'll live forever, forever. And everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. You know it deep within because Ecclesiastes 2.11 says God has set eternity in the heart of man. We know that. That's why we're afraid to die. If you don't come to salvation, you're afraid to die. And so listen, the reason God is still waiting and the reason judgment hasn't fallen up until today is because he wants everybody to be saved. Everybody to be saved. I hate to end it on a sad note, but it'll get better in a minute. Uh, the story of the ark is a sad commentary on how few receive the salvation God offers to the world. First Peter chapter 3, verse 20 says, In it, the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved. Jesus said in Matthew 24, in the context of the signs of his coming and of the end of the world as we know it, he said in chapter 24, verses 37 to 39, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Because up until the day Noah entered the ark and the judgment came, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up until the day the judgment fell. And then it says this, this is, always boggles my mind. And they knew nothing of what would happen until the day the judgment fell. That means nobody told them? No, Noah had been telling them for 120 years. They just ignored it. They didn't pay attention. That's what it means. Noah had been warning, and then he had been displaying right there, right there. Look, there's hope. 
There's hope. All you got to do is respond in faith and come get in the ark and you can be saved. And so few, unfortunately, responded. You've been listening to The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. People having idols might seem like an outdated idea, but the truth is people have all kinds of idols these days. It might not be a carved image or something that you literally bow down to, but what about your priorities? It could be sports or that TV show that you just can't miss or anything that takes your focus away from God and is put in a higher standing than Him. The book of Hebrews is great at highlighting how God should be in that top priority spot, and if anything else takes his place, then it's an idol. Do you see these areas in your life today? Well, we all have things that we need help to keep in check, and Hebrews provides a solid reminder of who God is and how nothing else can compare. We're so glad that you've taken the time to listen today. Here at The Living Word, we'd love for you to pray for this ministry. We always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first, just like Hebrews focuses on. We need God's guidance, so would you pray that we'd always recognize His voice? Thanks so much for praying. If you'd like to connect with us in person, check out ccfstpete.church for our service times. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us again next time to hear another message from this study in the book of Hebrews, right here on The Living Word.